Good morning. Our Advent series, as we're getting the TV out here, our Advent series this year, Tom introduced last year, last week, and it's a little bit different, as he was saying, um, than the standard uh, joy, peace, hope, love for sermons at Advent, which sometimes get done. We are diving deep into the Old Testament, and we're looking at four different prophecies of Jesus Christ um, that were fulfilled through thousands, uh, like 1,800 years of waiting, these prophecies were finally fulfilled. So, we looked at the Lion of Judah last week. We've got the Root of Jesse this week, and that's what we're looking into today. And this was a lot of fun to look into, and I enjoyed doing the, the deep dive on this. And I love doing these types of sermons because when we look into the Scriptures and what it means, um, I think that helps us to understand the way God wants to interact with us through His Scriptures. So today, we'll make a whole bunch of connections throughout the Bible, and uh, I hope you'll join me on that, and, and we'll learn along the way. The Root of Jesse... It's also called the shoot of the stump of Jesse. Um, maybe you can picture this with me. Um, a, a shoot coming up from a stump. This is the picture that we get. It's a stump that's obviously being cut off, and there's something new growing out of it. Have you seen this in nature before, these types of things? I'm fascinated by this. Um, I like walking through forests and seeing different things like this, trees growing at odd angles. So I looked up a few other examples. There's one where a tree has kind of grown out of a stump, and uh, another one there. That one's kind of off to the side it came out. And, then, and when trees grow sideways, but then they learn to grow upright, that always amazes me. Um, that's the redwood forest. Um, I don't know if you've ever walked through the redwood forest before, but a gigantic tree coming out of a gigantic stump. The one that's probably the best picture for us is back to that one today because it's talking about a shoot coming out of the stump. This is pretty standard stuff in the forestry industry. Um, I looked up on the Tree Service website. This is your pitch for, for stump removal. When a stump is left after a tree is removed, sometimes flimsy new sprouts called shoots will start to develop. And uh, interesting that they're called shoots because the guy that does our trees here is usually Marty Shoots. Different shoots, but if some of you were already making that connection, I think, right? So, yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's a good, good guy. But this is not his website, just so you know. Um, you may have to resort to using harsh chemicals to get rid of them completely, which can harm other plants. Furthermore, these new shoots will steal nutrients from the plants and trees around them. If you want to get rid of the shoots, you have to get rid of the Roots, the roots. Um, that's where we're going with that. Um, I'm not a very good gardener myself, um, but I do know that tackling the weeds in my garden, if I don't get the roots out, they're just going to come back like 10 times as strong. It's like they're up to the challenge. Like, haha, you try to get rid of me, I'm coming back. So you got to get those roots out. So there's your pitch for stump removal. Uh, that gives us our image today. Hopefully that helps paint the picture a little bit. Our scripture we're going to dive into comes from Isaiah chapter 11. So before, as we get into that scripture, I'm just going to pause and pray. God, we thank you for what we've witnessed so far today. Worshiping you through song, looking into your Christmas story, seeing uh, Nick take that step of baptism. God, just draw us into your plan. Guide us in your ways of righteousness. 
As we look into your scripture, speak to us, Lord. Um, empower me today to be able to preach your word, that it wouldn't be just me speaking, but you speaking through me. In your name, amen. So we look at the scripture from Isaiah 11 today, and uh, it begins by saying this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So I'll make a few comments as we go. So Jesse, if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament scriptures, Jesse is known as the father of King David. That's his claim to fame. He's not really known for a whole lot else. We'll, we'll cover him a little bit later, but that's Jesse. King David was the next in the line and, and became the king. Then it says, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, actually, Jesse is known as the, king, the king's father, but he's also listed in the long list at the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, you see a long list of names. His name is in that, and that's the lineage of Jesus Christ. And if you follow it all the way back to the very first top names, it goes all the way back to Abraham. So he is listed with some pretty good roots, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the forefathers of the, the Jewish faith. And so from those roots, we, we get a shoot coming out of a stump, Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Not Jesse, but the shoot. And the shoot is, we're going to learn, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. These are wonderful gifts to have. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the only one bestowed all these gifts. These, each of these things would have reminded the hearers at the time of different people in power, right? So they would have known Solomon, King Solomon as the wise king who was given a gift of wisdom. Um, king David given a gift of counsel and might. So whereas many of these leaders would have had one of these especially good gifts, Jesus is going to have all of them. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. How can he always delight in the fear of the Lord? He didn't have sin in his life. He was without sin, whereas I think the human kings would have had reason to not look forward to fearing the Lord when they were caught in sin. Keeps going. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. In other words, he's not going to be just coming up with his own ways like some of the, the kings, the, 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 the human kings did, doing evil in the sight of the Lord because they just went with their way. He's going to do it God's way, the righteous and just way. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. These are the very powers of God that he will have. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. In that day, verse 10, this is our uh, central passage, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. So, this is known as a messianic prophecy. Messianic because it's about the Messiah who we know to be Jesus. 
The, the person prophesying is an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. And um, he is, exists at a, perf, as a, at a particular time. If you are a little bit unfamiliar when you read your Bible, what am I reading? And I'm reading this huge section, and I'm not sure what it's talking about. The prophets take place as, as a chunk of Scripture, but they actually layer right over the former parts of the Bible. So the, the time of Isaiah, he's writing, and he's alive at the time of some of those kings. And it lists in the first chapter of Isaiah which kings he was around. King Uzziah, it mentions. And so we know that he existed after David, after Solomon, after all those kings. They had already passed away. So he's not speaking into that time. He's speaking to a later time, and he's hearkening back to the time of Jesse and David. And so here we have the Apostle Paul verifying Isaiah's prophecy by reiterating it, but also helping us with a little bit of interpretation of it. So you can see the original on the left, which says, um, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. This is a military picture, right? A banner in the military, uh, the nations rallying around that banner where they're supposed to go to war. And then on the other side, on the right side, we see Paul's interpretation. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations But this is the kicker that would have really stood out to the people listening at the time. In him, the Gentiles will hope. See, the people who have, like, Jewish as part of their background, they would not be comfortable, necessarily, with this idea of the Messiah being for the Gentiles. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to lead their nation in battle and conquer. And they're probably a little surprised to hear Paul speaking this way. And in the New Testament, we know that Paul went through his own conversion as well. He went through, uh, on the Damascus Road, he went through be- being Saul, who was out to, to get people who, who, and kill people and put people in jail who followed Jesus. And then he encountered Jesus and became one who would, and he calls himself what Jesus told him to do. He says he's, he's a, um, a missionary or he's a... Um, his role is for the Gentiles. He's going to be bringing the good news to the Gentiles. So this is the surprise factor in that the Messiah wasn't going to be just for the nation of Israel. There was a bigger picture here. We're already a few hundred years removed from David and Solomon at this point, and we're still looking to the vast future. So we know that Jesus is the root, and we know that... We, we, we know that Jesse is mentioned, but we're going to look into this Jesse and David aspect. Why Jesse? Why does it say the root of Jesse? If we don't know much about Jesse, we know more about David, and David's kind of one of the heroes of the Bible, right? David and Goliath and King David and all that stuff. Why is it the root of Jesse? Um, we, we see the story of David being called out to be the king. It starts there. It starts with Jesse. So when, when Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel 16 um, says um, that God says to him, I have rejected Saul as king over Israel, he, he tells Samuel, fill your horn and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So that's where it starts. It doesn't start with David. It starts with Jesse. 
It's going to be one of his sons. He doesn't even know which of the sons it's going to be. And what's special about Jesse? Not much. They're shepherds. They lived in Bethlehem. And um, we can maybe already start drawing allusions to the Christmas story through that. As the account goes, he looks all over Jesse's sons, and uh, David's the youngest, but he's not even present. He's out in the fields tending sheep, and they have to actually call him in. So he doesn't choose the oldest, the tallest. He chooses the youngest son, and God says, this is the one I have chosen. And through that account, it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David went on to be Israel's king because he was mentioned as a man after God's own heart. Israel was very blessed during his reign. They enjoyed military success, safety as a nation. Um, They look upon that time as a, a very good time in their history, a time of success. But it came to an end, and uh, when it came to an end, God, um, some terrible things happened. Um, J- David was not faithful in all ways. He did sin, but God was gracious and forgave. So it says this, God's still going to hold up his promise at the end of David's time. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. We get the picture of Jesus going to the cross. But my love will never be taken away from him as, it took, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So last week, Tom explained that how at the time Israel had an idea of how and when they probably wanted a Messiah to come, ideally right then and there, ideally as a triumphant leader of armies, ideally for the Jews and their nation, but we know that the Messiah did not come then. And um, the Messiah's first arrival was not as the lion was explained, but more as a lamb. The the return of the triumphant lion was still to come, is still to come. No, the Messiah came humbly in a stable with shepherds in Bethlehem. Why mention Jesse? Well, I think the way this prophecy is framed by mentioning the root of Jesse points to his humble origins, his humanity, his human lineage. Jesse was a shepherd from Bethlehem similar to Jesus' own family. This emphasizes um, not just the military power aspect of the Messiah. It's both. It's both those things together. And that's what God wanted them to see. We know it's both because it kind of gets reinterpreted in Revelation. So Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and here it's going to actually flip. So here... Jesus himself in the vision to John in the Revelation says, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of, not Jesse, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So in this 
return of Christ, in the second coming of Christ, he's emphasized as what people would have remembered as the, the military strength of David, the champion, the, the warrior, the uh, mentions the Lion of Judah there, which Tom preached on last time. And he says again, at the end, near the end of the book of Revelation, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Tom gets to talk about the morning star next week. That'll be an interesting one. These are all linking together. It's almost like Tom knew what he was doing when he planned this series. So another question to ask, we know Jesus is the root. We know why Jesse. Why a stump? What's this thing about a stump? Of course, when we see a tree stump, we don't really know what used to be there, but you can imagine a former tree. You can imagine how tall and majestic it may have been, and it's just a a lump on the ground compared to what it once was. The stump is actually mentioned earlier in Isaiah uh, to mean to, to refer to some the people of God in general, not just David or Jesse. It says, The Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a, the stump in the land. So in this instance, the picture of the stump represents what's left of the faithful people of Israel. It's not much, and it seems like it's dead, but it's not quite done away with. God had brought judgment on them, allowed their nation, other nations to invade, take them from their land, but God was merciful and did not fully destroy them. He would allow them to continue as a remnant even as, in, as exiles in other nations, they were encouraged to live for God, to be faithful. They still had a chance, even then. And again, for the most part, those that were in other nations didn't stay true to God's laws. They started following the ways of the world, the ways of the land that they lived in, the kingdoms and the customs and the sinful actions. They worshipped what the people worshipped, of the world, they stopped worshiping God. They were content to live lives of sin against God. I would say we live in other lands as well. And isn't it easy for us to fall into the ways of the world in our culture, in our context? Isn't it easy for us just to think, what's the big deal if I dabble in this, if I sin a little bit? He'll forgive me anyways. Before we know it, we might become trapped and ensnared in sinful ways and not be too sorry that we did it. We might start putting God to the side, maybe only coming to church on Sundays once in a while, and that's the only time we plug in with the Lord. Other times, it's kind of just the way of the world, the things that we do in life. Well, we get these scriptures to warn us. And that's what Paul teaches us. 1 Corinthians 10, he says just that. He says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink, got up to indulge in revelry. Right? That's just the way of the world to 
to indulge, to party, to live in the moment. Uncontrolled drunken partying is kind of revelry in a nutshell. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. This is the judgment of God upon them. And do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you were standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The warning is there, but the mercy and the love and the, and the saving grace of God is there as well. So the scriptures teach us. The warnings of the Old Testament are there. How easy it us, is it for us to sin? We don't think our sin matters to God. Take a look within. Is there something you're doing? Something you know is a sin in God's eyes? Has your heart become hardened to it? Are you okay with it? Are you doing it anyways? See the warning. Think of the stump. You want to be a stump? Or you want to be a tree? Are the temptations, are the temptations of this world worth it to you? to give into? Or would you much rather be, picture yourself as a tall tree flourishing in God's kingdom? Well, we jump back to our passage in Isaiah 11, and the stump here is the stump of Jesse. The stump doesn't represent the people of Israel here. It represents the line of Jesse, the house of David, specifically that line of kings. The line of heirs to the throne of Israel, even great King David, fell. At his worst point, he commits adultery, murder, both of which are worthy of death. But even then, God forgives him. He's merciful. He spares his life and his line of descendants because he has a bigger plan. I meet a lot of people working at the church here and, and being a pastor who they don't feel that they're worthy of forgiveness. This happens fairly commonly. So if this happens to you, just know you're not alone. Do you ever feel this way? Like your sins are not worthy of God's forgiveness? That the Son of God went to the cross and in his death took on the punishment for all sins, but you're unable to allow his suffering to be for you? Well, I want you to hear that King David confessed his darkest sins. And they were adultery and murder, pretty bad. He was forgiven. There can still be devastating consequences for sins, of course. There were for David. It did affect his family beyond that point. We need to be aware that sin can, can and will affect those around us negatively. Sin cannot be taken lightly. The wages of sin is death. But God can and does forgive it. His love, mercy, and grace can enter every dark place. And it just snowed yesterday. He can make it white as snow. So what's the big picture here? 
We looked last week through Israel's gradual drifting away from following God, the ten tribes of Israel falling away, the kingdom of Judah staying true to the line of David, all the way to the time of our text now, the writing of the prophet Isaiah to, at the time of King Uzziah, um, he says in chapter 6, but he's, at this point, they're not faithful anymore. So he's already seeing them fall away. So the prophet Isaiah, um, God, still, God still remains faithful, Isaiah says, and says that the remnant will continue on despite their, their unfaithfulness. The shoot from the stump, Jesse the Messiah, from the stump, Jesse the Messiah will come from that faithful remnant. So the lineage in Matthew 1 follows all the way down until it gets to Joseph and the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Even though Joseph wasn't the biological father of Jesus, or Joseph wasn't the biological father of Jesus, God has planned it out so that Jesus is the legal heir through Joseph to be the king of Israel. That's how the shoot comes up from the stump of Jesse's line. What good news it is to us then that the root of Jesus is not just the hope of the nation of Judah or Jerusalem or Israel, but also the Gentiles or us, the rest of the world. God started a new growth through Jesus. We get a better king, an eternal righteous leader. And a picture that Isaiah paints later in his book, chapter 61. Instead of a stump, would this prophetic word be true of the people of God? That they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So what do you want to be? A stump? Or do you want to be an oak of righteousness? What sounds better? Well, actually, in truth, a lot of us might prefer the stump. Just look over me. Don't look at my life. I don't want to be on display. It's easy to be a stump. It seems a little intimidating to be on display. And with no care and attention in our lives, I think we naturally would go the stump route. But putting in the work of righteous following of Jesus can grow us into that oak, that oak of righteousness planted by the Lord that he wants to display. So the ways of the world are always there, giving us temptation. The, the ways that the world looks at our faith is going to tempt us that maybe it doesn't make sense. But God's way is the way. We want to read in Scripture. We want to be rooted in His truth, in His Word, following in His ways. Be a part of His oak tree forest, if you will. Much better picture than being seen as a stump. Let's pray together. God, we praise and worship Jesus the Messiah who was prophesied for 1,800 years that his birth would come, that he would be born of Mary and Joseph, the Holy Spirit, that he would live and die and rise again, and that one day 
he will return. Victorious King. God, lead us in your ways everlasting, in your righteous path. Enable us to choose wisely. We thank you that Jesus is the wise one and that he can guide us. Give us the strength each day to turn to you, to turn from the ways of the world and direct our paths in righteousness. This Christmas season, as we explore all these prophecies of who you are, help us to follow you and see you more clearly, to want to worship you with our whole lives. In your name, amen.